Hi everyone and welcome to the Angel Notes podcast where we interview promising startup founders raising funds on the most popular equity crowdfunding platforms. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with the founders of Carbon Pay, which is raising funds right now on WeFunder. Before we start, let's give our listeners a one-minute elevator pitch on Carbon Pay. Why should they invest in the company? Carbon Pay is an incredible payroll tool that's really focused on serving customers in a cross-border environment. So uh, our history is having worked in payroll services over the last five or six years in a number of different countries across four continents. And we have found the same payroll problems over and over again with the global providers, which really is that their systems provide nothing more than a storage house for payroll data, which gets passed to in-country partners for actual processing of gross to net calculations, where our system takes into account the rules of tax codes in different jurisdictions, so that with a by simply entering your data into our system, we can calculate a compliant payroll for our customers in an instant. And so they're able to have a single point login, um, you're able to have different permission levels for your, your uh, payroll employees, and, uh, and, and, and really, it's, it's about automating the, the process, cutting costs, and drastically reducing the time from, say, five to seven days to as little as, uh, you know, five seconds. Awesome. So first of all, let's tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What is your background? What did you study? Is this your first business? Do you have previous management experience? Let's just tell us everything we need to know about you guys. Yeah, so uh, uh, my name is Brad Price, and I'm with our uh, CFO, Rob Kleifkin. Uh, my background is I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa. I've been living in Texas now for about five and a half years. And uh, when I moved to Texas, I founded an HR services company called Fingo HR, which really focused on serving customers uh, in a multi-country environment, whether that was, that be two countries or, or 35 countries, uh, focusing on HR compliance, HR administration and payroll. Um, before that, I spent time in South Africa with a, an education startup and, uh, and also worked in uh, HR for an e-commerce company in South Africa. And I'll hand over to Rob for his background. Uh, my background started in traditional banking as a teller in a bank and working in the mailroom and worked my way up through the uh, banking industry. Uh, my last role in traditional banking was 2008, 2009 as the director of acquisitions, uh, commercial loan acquisitions for a bank. Um, for the last, well, since then, I've been in investment banking. Uh, for the last six years or so of investment banking, my role has primarily been uh, due diligence and dropping into portfolio companies as their CFO to write the ship, get them ready for capital raises, and then to implement the, uh, um, the plan after the capital raise is complete. Awesome. So what inspired you to start this journey? How did you guys meet each other? Well, interestingly, Rob and I met through our realtor. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, my wife and I bought a house in Texas. We used a, a local realtor who was referred by a friend of ours. Uh, he actually became one of our first investors in carbon pay. And um, at some point, he thought that uh, Rob and I would be uh, good connections for one another. And so he introduced the two of us. Awesome. So what exactly is Carbon Pay? Let's make sure that all our listeners understand what Carbon Pay is really about. Yeah, so our system is about um, helping companies to process their payroll in a cross-country environment. Because of the nature of our system, they can also use our system in one single country if that's where they operate. Uh, but primarily, we're building our software to remove some of the barriers 
that exist in a cross-border payroll environment. So the current scenario calls for, you know, let's say a payroll service provider like ADP, and they provide you with access to a software system that allows you to get all of your data into their system using a couple of different complex uh, uh, form types and methods. Um, they then go and send that data on. Let's say, for example, you're operating in 10 different countries. They will siphon off your country data and send it to 10 local in-country partners who will then process your payroll data according to the rules of the tax jurisdiction. So think about getting a gross salary and then needing to deduct from that various local taxes as well as benefits and taking into account where benefits like, say, medical aid might uh, uh, create a tax credit or a, a tax benefit and so on. Um, all of those things have to be accounted for and calculated at the local level. Um, and then they get sent back in a piecemeal fashion. Uh, bear in mind, you're dealing with different levels of competency, different formats, different time zones, because all of these in-country partners are really just independent contractors that uh, you know do some work for ADP or a, another similar competitor. So the, the end result is it takes a long time, you get a lot of errors, and you also end up re uh, reaching your payroll deadline unable to process certain changes that may have happened because it takes so long to get your data back, uh, you know, once it's been sent off to the in-country partners. So what we're trying to solve with Carbon Pay is we, we code the rules of the tax jurisdiction into our software. So for example, in South Africa, if you contribute uh, part of your salary to a retirement fund, it generates a tax benefit of up to 5% of your annual income. Now, our system knows that and calculates that benefit off of your uh, uh, tax deduction so that you end up getting the, the correct net pay. Now, you don't need to know as the person running payroll that that benefit applies because our system does that math for you. So really, the, the, the sort of most distilled version of, of what we're building is the ability for a, a payroll administrator to input payroll data in its unprocessed form and our system with its calculations rules engine will spit out within an instant the uh, various tax obligations, benefits, liabilities, and net pay owed to employees. So this sounds really interesting. When did the journey start? How long did it take to develop the technology behind the product? Yeah, the, uh, the journey started, I mentioned earlier, uh, founding Fingo HR, which focused on international customers and helping them in a few areas, including payroll. And it was just consistently dealing with the same payroll issues week after week, spreadsheets and errors and all those sorts of things that, uh, you know, we kind of decided there's got to be a better way to do it than this. And, uh, and ultimately, what we realized was the ability to calculate payroll is based on just a series of logic and mathematics according to those local rules. And there's nothing better to code than logic and math because there's no gray area. And, uh, and so we, we began a process of about eight months of research, really looking into a few different things. Firstly, what are some of the commonalities that you find in payroll across all countries? What are some of the key differences that you find between those countries? And how did they impact uh, you know, the way that you approach doing that math. Uh, then we looked at from a, an architectural perspective in terms of the technology, what's the best way for us to build this and build it in a way that it can scale 
for multiple countries and, of course, uh, thousands and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of users. And so we did a lot of research before we even uh, started coding our first line of, of, of software. Um, and uh, eventually we got to the point where we were ready to implement. Um, and so we, we brought on our team of developers in uh, March of 2020. Uh, we launched our first country in September of 2020. We are now in the process of launching our second country, which is Mexico, and we're in the process of building the Philippines as well. So we're uh, we're releasing countries quite rapidly now, uh, since a lot of the basis of our of our technology has been built. And at this point, it's now a matter of the rules for each country. Great. So what has been the most difficult part about the technology, about the software? How do you handle the legal part? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's always a challenge to make sure that you are understanding what the local rules really are, right? You can read a document that describes and defines what those rules are, but often when you put them into a real life circumstance, you'll find that there are uh, practicalities and, and, and variables that perhaps don't appear as obviously on paper. And so what, what we do to negate that is we work with local partners to help us understand the rules. Sometimes that is as practical as the rules are in a different language. And so we then get uh, someone bringing it to life for us in English. But ultimately what we're looking for is people who have run payroll in that local country and they know the ins and outs of it. So when we tell them our understanding, they're able to correct us where we're wrong. They're able to provide us insights that we otherwise don't have. And we use them to help us build the software. Once we've developed the, the rules engine for that country, that partner, which is typically an accounting firm or a tax advisory firm, they have historical payroll data uh, that belongs to them. And we ask them for that data as part of our agreement. And so what we do is we go and run a year's worth of payroll through our system as part of our testing phase before we launch it to the public. And that allows us to find elements where perhaps we didn't consider uh, a particular variable or perhaps a rule had been misunderstood and therefore the net result was not correct. And, uh, and that allows us to really go and make those changes and tweaks, ask questions to those experts who already know. So by the time we launch our system to the public, uh, we know that we've got 100% accuracy in our payroll calculations. So really kind of uh, relying on local knowledge is what's helped us to overcome some of those challenges. Awesome. So right now you support three countries, right? So how scalable is this? How long will it take, in your opinion, to get to, I don't know, maybe 20 countries? Yeah, so what we're doing at the moment is we're we're kind of scaling up and ramping up our ability to launch new countries right now as we speak. We've just hired a few new developers onto our team and as our team grows, we're we're siphoning the team into different into different areas where some are focused on maintenance, some are focused on building new countries, some are focused on building integrations between our tool and others. And so really what that ends up being is or creating for us is the ability to add multiple countries in parallel. And, uh, and, and we've created a little bit of a blueprint that every time we add a new country, that blueprint gets better and better um, in terms of what kinds of things we look for, what questions we ask, and what approach we take to implementing a new country. So in the first six months of development, what we were really doing was building an overarching infrastructure of functionality that belongs to multi all countries, things like the ability to request time off and trigger automated email notifications and pull reports with various data and so on. 
Um, then when we built South Africa, it was really about two months worth of coding to get the South African rules engine in place. After that, Mexico was also pretty quick, and now we're doing the Philippines. Um, so so what, we're, we're, what we're aiming for really is about 20 countries over the next two years, starting sort of now, because our ability to, uh, to scale and add uh, new countries to our underarching infrastructure is really kind of what we've been doing up until this point. Great. So I'm curious, what are some of the reasons why, in your opinion, no one else come up with something similar before? Yeah, I think I think one of the big things is that, uh, you know, people often get scared of the fact that regulations and rules change in different countries. And so they go, well, you know, in, in my country, the tax tables change every quarter or, um, you know, in my country, the, the rules just, you know, you can't sort of rely on them. They keep changing and it's hard to keep up with and so on. And so there's almost kind of a, ch a challenge that exists there. Our approach to that challenge was really to say that, Um, you know, there are things that we can hard code that we know stay the same. And there are things that we can sort of soft code and make malleable so that every time there is a shift in, in local policy, we can update that change fairly simply. And that's, again, why we retain our uh, uh, partnerships with, with folks in those different countries. So when new rules come out, we're able to implement those things quickly. We've just had a change in South Africa with the unemployment insurance limit that changed. We were able to Uh, to, to implement that change within two weeks or less of the government announcing the change. And so it meant that all the parents uh, remained compliant. So, um, you know, again, there is a complexity to understanding these rules and to coding these rules. And every time they change, you've got to, you've got to account for that. Otherwise, you're no longer accurate. Um, and so I think to some degree, folks have decided, well, it's easier for me to just let local people do the work and we will act as a middleman. In our case, we think there's better accuracy and better cost if we cut out the middleman and build the software to do it. Um, and, uh, and we've done it in such a way that we can be uh, malleable and, and react to changes in the market. That's awesome. So what stage is the company right now? Did you already find product market fit? If so, how many customers do you have and what's the revenue for the latest 12 months? Yeah, I think, you know, I think from, from our perspective, product market fit is an interesting thing because we, uh, you know, typically anyone can use our software if they have employees. It doesn't have to be focused on an industrial sector or, uh, you know, e-commerce or anything like that. As long as you have employees and you need to run a local compliant payroll, you can use our software. Um, of course, uh, as we've just launched Uh, in in uh, Mexico, we're uh, still pretty early there, and so we're building up our customers. Um, you know, but one exciting thing that we have done is we just closed an acquisition deal yesterday, where we where we acquired a f our first uh, sort of bolt-on company. And uh, and what that company does is um, it's a time tracking tool. It enables employees to clock in and clock out for uh, work when they work hourly shifts. Um, you're able to manage shifts from the uh, dashboard and employees can clock in using a web application or iOS or Android apps. Um, there's geolocation and facial recognition. So, for example, if you're sending construction workers to a project site, you can set up that location as the place where they need to be in order to check in. And then make sure that they, you know, with facial recognition, it's actually them there. Um, and then with an integration to Carbon Pay, their hours that are worked can automatically get sent to their payslip for calculations so that you don't have to do a manual input or upload of their hours worked. So between Carbon Pay and this, uh, this new acquisition, we have customers in 
20 countries at the moment, and uh, we're generating revenues uh, just above about $100,000 uh, in annual recurring revenue. So from an execution perspective, what are the next steps? What's the roadmap for the next 12 months? Yeah, I think a lot of it is about getting more and more countries out. The next 12 months is focusing on our ability to serve more and more customers. And so, um, you know, that's that's really what we're looking to do. One of the challenges has been building the right team because, you know, when you're a startup and a small company, uh, we've, we've got 12 people at the moment. That means that each person almost represents, uh, you know, almost 10% of the workforce. And so the input that we get from each of those people is critical. Um, and so really, I would say the, the, the two primary focuses are making sure we have the right team and making sure that our product is available to as many customers as possible. Of course, it goes without saying that in order to do that, we need to raise the appropriate funds. Um, and so that's why we're, uh, we're fundraising. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, it's, it's really about making sure we have the best product possible and that we can get it into the hands of, of customers who need it. So what is your business model and who are your target customers? I like to say our target customer is anyone with an employee because uh, it really can be that simple for us. Uh, typically, we have uh, outbound sales efforts which focus on uh, sort of SME type companies. We also have uh, digital marketing strategies which focus on a broad variety of industries, company sizes, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, job positions, and so on. And then we also have, of course, uh, inbound leads where really we can deal with anyone from a single person company to someone as, as large as, uh, as BDO, um, you know, based on who, who finds us and who's interested in us. So in terms of target market, it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, you know, I, I know that this needs to be specified, but ultimately for us, it really is a matter of any company with employees uh, is an opportunity for us. Awesome, so what is your business model? Yeah, so um, our business model is that we charge a base fee per country that you operate in, um, and then we charge a an additional cost uh, per employee per month. We don't charge based on the number of payrolls that you run. So for example, if you have an employee that you pay every week, we only bill you for that employee once per month. We don't charge you for the number of pay runs that you run. Um, and then similarly for the uh, uh, time tracking application, that is based on a cost per employee per month, dependent upon the kinds of features that you want access to. So it's a pretty standard uh, SaaS-based revenue model. Um, and of course, uh, the, the way that we bill is monthly. And so we focus on uh, MRR, automated billing, um, and, and, and that's really our approach to, to the business model. So would you please give us a complete overview of your team? How many employees do you have and what's their role? Yeah, so our team is 12 at the moment. We have uh, myself as uh, founder and CEO. We have uh, Rob Kleifgen, who is CFO, and Andy Saul, who's the head of sales. And the three of us are all based in Dallas, Texas. And then we have uh, a sales and support uh, a person who joined our team last week. She's based in Mexico City. Uh, we have our product owner who is based in Durban, South Africa. And then we have a series of developers and QA who are based between South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Pakistan. So uh, our company itself is cross-border and a, a great example of a company that needs to be able to run uh, payroll in, in multiple countries without necessarily being a uh, you know a massive enterprise, um, which is is more and more common these days. So uh, twelve team, twelve of us in total, and and that's the split. 
Great. So how did you find the company so far? Have you raised any other rounds before this fundraising? So our first round was completed in the first quarter of 2020. That was a friends and family round, raised 165,000 there. Uh, with that money, we developed the you know infrastructure and launched South Africa. In November, we launched a WeFunder campaign. Uh, to date, we're about 540,000 in the WeFunder campaign. Um, and that's the extent of the, of the funding so far. So a little over 700,000 in total funding. Great. So speaking of liquidity, what's your average burn rate and how many months of runway will you have after the race? Our burn rate is about 50. It's been as low as 40 and as high as 60 over the last few months, depending on, um, you know, a few larger checks here and there. Like, for instance, we did a, a patent landscape uh, study for our patent strategy, uh, which, uh, you know, took some took some checks to get you know there. In terms of uh, post the uh, WeFunder campaign, uh, you know, 50,000 kind of average burn rate, and we've got about um, 470,000, 480,000 left to raise in the WeFunder uh, campaign. So a lot of runway there. We really control our expenses. If we want to turn up the dial with our development, uh, costs we we can ramp up quickly there with uh, you know both hires or, or contractor works, uh, but we're also able to turn down the dial uh, as we concentrate on on backfilling countries with customers, etc. Great. So talking about the competitive landscape, is there anyone else working on something similar, and what makes you different? Yeah, we've uh, we've found that there's very little in this space in terms of automation. One or two folks that seem to be going in a similar direction, but I think the, the good news for us is, uh, is number one, it's very early days for the concept of automating payroll in multiple countries. And I don't think there's gonna be any one particular player. Even in the market of payroll services in a cross country environment, there are so many big players that are, you know, some of them billion, multi-billion dollar companies. Um, and so I think in this space, there's gonna be uh, quite a lot of capacity. Uh, one thing that I do know in terms of a, a, a fairly direct competitor is uh, there's two things about our platform that's different. One, uh, it can translate into the language of the local user. Um, and so you can really, you know, you can even be in a position where let's say you're in the United States and you're running payroll for one of your teams in Mexico. You can run that payroll in English, but your employees in Mexico can access their pay slips and so on in Spanish. Similarly, where you've got management teams, uh, you know, you could look at the same report, but one of you could download in English, one of you can download in German and one of you in Spanish. So um, that's that's kind of a, a compelling thing. And then the second thing is we've designed our system for multiple countries to be single login. So you just toggle between the different countries in the same platform, which is meaningful both for the fact that you don't have to have, you know, 20 different logins for 20 different countries, but it also means all of your data is stored in one place. So when you want to pull reports, you can pull reports by region or by different countries, and you can consolidate that all into one report and even select your currency where other uh, uh, companies that are trying to do this, they're really kind of segmenting them out. And so, you know, you still end up in the same position where you've got to pull one report for the US and another report for Mexico and then try and combine the two, or you can't combine them. And so in our case, I think those are two compelling things that we're doing. As the, uh, the non-industry expert coming into this middle of last year, I was really shocked about, um, there is no fully automated multi-country system. 
you know, Brad and I would go through some of the competitors early on when I was learning the industry. And, you know, we'd see some automation in the front end uh, or we'd see maybe some automation in the back end. But there, but the full calculator beginning front to back, full automation, giving the calculator to the customer for multiple countries just does not exist. So this is amazing, guys, really. So what do you believe are some of the execution risks for the company? Yeah, I think, you know, we can have the best product in the world, but if we're not getting it in front of customers, then we don't really have much of a business. So I think it's really critical that our focus on sales and marketing is, is not just aggressive, but also very, very strategic. Uh, we need to make sure that the way, for example, we're pitching ourselves to enterprises and larger deals is in a way that is palatable for them. For example, those size companies don't tend to want to move uh, from one system to another for all of their countries all at once. They tend to like to do things in phases. And so, you know, our ability to kind of show that, to break, uh, uh, break down those barriers of entry, um, allowing them perhaps to test our system and run it in parallel and see the value that our system provides um, is, is critical and making sure that we get that across to them is, uh, is important. One of the things we have seen, which is a really good sign, is that you know for some of the larger companies we've approached, we've sent them one simple email and they've responded within 24 hours and sometimes we've had same week meetings um, you know, because the problem that we're solving is one that A, we understand and B, is very real. And given the nature of our product, it, you know, it's just sitting in on the marketing meetings, the sales meetings and such, it's interesting to hear that you know we're making one sale over there to an accounting firm or to a payroll company, and then they bring all of their customers. And as they grow, they grow our customer base. Uh, so it, it's uh, extremely advantageous to be able to make that one sale to the hub uh, of a you know of a of a group, uh, and then you know like an accountant, and then all of their customers come on board eventually. Awesome. So I'm curious, are you currently targeting? accounting firms or companies directly? We do both. Um, one of the benefits of accounting firms is, as Rob mentioned, they bring with them pretty large headcount. So let's say, for example, a, an accounting company is running payroll for 100 companies. That means one sale for us, but 100 companies. Additionally, as the accounting firm grows, uh, you know, and they're focused on their sales efforts, we benefit from that growth as well. Uh, but we are also focused on getting individual companies because there's a huge market there. You know, not everyone is working with accountants that run their payroll, um, and some of them have internal payroll teams and so on. So there really is a market for us in both environments, but we just didn't want to say, well, the accounting firms are already running payroll, so we'll just leave them alone. They've actually ended up being a really big opportunity for us. Okay, so that was the last question. Thank you for being here, guys. I'm sure all of our listeners would be excited to check out your campaign on WeFunder. Well, we appreciate the time and uh, and thanks for for speaking with us. Yeah, it's uh, you know WeFunder.com forward slash carbon pay, and uh, we're just very excited for the opportunity to continue to grow this platform. Uh, the traction to date has been incredible. So we look forward to, to continuing the, the pace. Yeah, and I think probably also with mentioning, we're soon going to be launching another WeFunder campaign for the acquisition that we just closed uh, for, for that company. It's called Smart Clock, spelt with an X instead of an S. So uh, kind of almost X Smart Clock, but pronounced Smart Clock. So uh, you can look out for that in the next few weeks as well.